Well, good morning, everybody. It's good, isn't it? It's great. It's great to be here on Christmas morning. Thank you for uh, coming out. It's a tremendous uh, time to spend some time together. So just let me get the password right and we'll get ourselves started. You know, I, I love Christmas so much, I never, ever, ever uh, get sick of it. And uh, not only just for the story itself, but the deeper things that it brings to our, our life that we are given as well. And rather than take a pause this morning, because I was going to speak out of a portion, but I just couldn't bring myself to it, because I wanted to tell the whole story of Christmas. So I've left the wise men where they are, because they're a little bit slow. They come a little bit later. They don't even make it to Bethlehem until a little bit later on. But I do want to cover uh, the story together. Let me ask you a question first of all. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the four Gospels, which are the two Gospels that we can read the Christmas story? Matthew and Luke, that's correct. So why don't we start in John? And I'll tell you why. I think the start of the book of John really sets the scene for who God is and what he was planning to do. So listen to these words. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. Now you all know, who is the Word? Who is the Word? Jesus. Let me read it again then. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, his father, and the Word, Jesus, was God. He was with God from the beginning. And then a verse or so down, it says, The true light, and that's Jesus too, that gives light to every man was coming into the world. This is Jesus, the word, the one that John in his gospel tells us that through him all things were made. In him was life. This is the one who created the stars and the heavens and the earth and the seas and the skies and the mountains. This is the mighty, powerful, eternal God who sees and knows everything and rules over all things justly. And even yet he made those things for us to enjoy and we were in perfect relationship with him at one time which gave us a great reason to praise him and worship him and recognize him as almighty God. We humans botched it big time. We made an absolute botch of it. We rebelled against God. We followed our own selfish and sinful ways and not his. And that was a dumb idea. But that's what we did. And as a result, what happened of our actions, as a result of our actions is that sin actually separated us from God. Because God would not tolerate sin. They don't match together. And so now we are separated. And so how can that be fixed? Well, God in his mercy and his great love for us, which knows no measure nor end, I think that's in a hymn somewhere, had a rescue plan to bring us back into a right relationship with him. He wasn't going to leave us where we were. And what a plan it was. Talk about long-term planning. If you think you know somebody who's good at long-term planning, you don't. Because God is the king when it comes to long-term planning planning it's amazing you know even before the birth of uh, jesus the messiah you can read in the old testament book of micah in chapter 5 and verse 2 this prophecy listen to this but you bethlehem though you are small among the clans of judah pretty insignificant little place out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over israel whose origins are from old and ancient times this is talking about jesus Michael lets us know that this rescue plan is well underway at this point, even letting us know the name of the tiny little insignificant town where the saviour of the world would be born one day in the future. And Michael wrote this when? Did he wait till Mary was pregnant and go, okay, I know a little bit about this. Okay, I'm going to make the prophecy. No, he didn't. 700 years before this happened was when Micah made this prophecy. This is well before Jesus walked the earth. And around 700 years, about the same time, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. How specific is this? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call him Emmanuel. What's he talking about? A virgin will conceive? That's inconceivable, so to speak. But apparently not, for the universe 
the one who has made the universe God, it is, not it is not impossible for this prophecy to be true. And then the next bit, and you should call yourself, your son, Emmanuel. What does the word Emmanuel mean? It means God with us. So here is a rescue plan starting to unfold here as we find out that one day God will come and live amongst us. Now, particularly for those of you this morning who have never heard the Christmas story before, and I don't assume that people know this at all, and for those of you who've heard it a bit or it's been a bit confused over time or you haven't heard it for a little bit too, I want to take you down to Bethlehem this morning, 2,000 years ago, and I want to go to that little insignificant town of Bethlehem and see what's going on down there, but also see what it means for us today in 2016 in regards to that rescue plan that I'm talking about. So let's head to the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. I finally got there, which is good. And let's explore this story together. We heard early in our readings from Liv and from Malcolm about the angels visiting uh, first Mary and then Joseph. We hear about this young teenage girl, Mary, who's living in Nazareth and pledged to be married to Joseph, uh, being visited by this angel, Gabriel, who tells her that he, she's found favour with God, who has chosen her to be the mother of the Son of the Most High. I, I still, my gob is open every time. I, this is somebody being told they're going to be the mother of of the Most High God. This is God's Son. And when she asked the angel, um, how is that possible because I'm a virgin? The angel explains to her that the Holy Spirit will come upon her and overshadow her and she will be with child. And then I love this. While she's still trying to take all this in, you can just imagine Mary listening to this. She says this beautiful, humble thing. At the end, she says, may it be to me as you have said. What beautiful words they are. Then Malcolm read to us about Joseph's dilemma. That's what that chapter could be called, those few verses, isn't it? Being engaged to Mary and then finding out that she's pregnant. Now, I can't even imagine the confusion that would have been going on in this man's head. He would have been, what's happening? What, what's, what's doing here? He would have been so confused. And he was a righteous man, we hear too. And because he didn't want to see Mary disgraced, he decides that it'd be best to divorce her quietly. Now, in the betrothal process, there's a, a few stages of that. And during this time, that was a time when you actually could divorce under certain circumstances. So this was, uh, he thought, a good thing for him to do. But God says, uh-uh, I've got the rescue plan happening here, Joseph. He intervenes and an angel comes to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, keep that in mind. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save the people from their sin. That's what the name Jesus means. Sounds like a rescue plan to me. So Joseph wakes up and uh, does what the angel of the Lord commands him to do and then takes Mary home as his wife. You know, often these days um, when couples are having babies, they find out quite early. It's a bit different than uh, when we had, uh, had kids too. And they find out if it's a boy or a girl. But having these scans that are so amazing, you can almost see the child smiling and waving at you too. I don't know if you've seen some of those scans. They're almost freaky. They're so real. Uh, and everything then can be organized, can't it? So you can paint the, the room the right color and you can get the right clothes and all that sort of stuff too. And quite often they even name the child early and start to call the unborn child by this name. Even before it's pooed its nappy or it's even smiled or waved or grabbed a finger or anything like that. This child has a name already. Well, this could never, ever happen in Bible times because there is no scans. They couldn't work those things out. Well, it never had been before this particular time, before this time, when it, uh, this miraculous and prophetic occasion occurred. You see, we have in this Bible story no pregnancy test, no scans to find out what the sex is, 
no mum and dad pouring through the book of popular Jewish baby names for the year 1 BC. There's none of that going on. Instead, instead of that, God through his angels tells Mary about her upcoming pregnancy. It's an angel that tells her. Instead of them, instead of them through an angel, they are told it's a boy. An angel tells them, not a scan. And they're even told what the child's name is going to be and why it's going to be called that name. This is God's child here. And this is going to be the son of the Most High God. The rescue plan is taking shape and it's very obvious here as to who is calling the shots, isn't it? And it's a good thing that God's calling the shots here because you see right now we have a dilemma. Hmm. And the dilemma is, remember in Micah's prophecy it was foretold that the Messiah would be born where? In Bethlehem. Well, we've got a problem here because Mary and Joseph are actually in Nazareth. Now, how far is Nazareth away? I looked it up on Google. It's 110 k's. And that's after I pressed Siri and asked her, and she told me it was 16,677 k's because I didn't know that there was a Bethlehem in New York. But that's another story, okay? (laughs) So how does God then get Mary to Bethlehem from Nazareth, the city of David? How's that going to happen? Well, verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So the first thing is, to get this done in God's rescue plan, is that he puts in the head of Caesar Augustus, just by the way, that word Augustus means worthy of adoration. I wonder who gave him that name. That's another story, though. He puts in Caesar Augustus' mind the idea to take account of the whole population of the Roman world. Now, how can you count them if they're all roaming around? Threw that one in there, too, hey? So, what's everybody told to do? Well, oh, some are latecomers. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Verse 3 and 4. And everybody went to their own town to register. There was no online census. They didn't give you the census form. You filled it in and, and there you went. You went to your hometown. Okay? So listen to this. This is great. I love this. This is God's plan. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town or the city of David. Because, get this, he belonged to the house and line of David. This is very important. This is where King David was born. Some of you might have heard about him before. Some of you know him well. Now, by the time we get to Jesus, there have been 42 generations down the track from David, this little insignificant shepherd boy who killed wild animals to protect the sheep and slew uh, Goliath, the one who was chosen out of obscurity by God who said he's got a heart just like mine to be probably the most well-known king of Israel. And Joseph is a descendant and therefore Jesus is in that line of David. How prophetic is that? I love that. Can you hear that angel's words? Can you see Mary just hearing about this baby that she's about to give birth to, when the angel says to her, the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, his kingdom will never end. David had a kingdom, a kingdom was to come that would never end, and that was Jesus. Dilemma dealt with. Mary and Joseph heading for Bethlehem, done deal. Birthplace of David, it's going to happen. The rescue plan continues unhindered. If you're in your Bible, come with me now to Luke 2 and uh, verse 6. While they were there, this is Mary and Joseph, while they were there in Bethlehem, town of David, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. It's a boy. It's a boy. The son of the Most High, Emmanuel, God 
with us. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no place for the saviour of the world to lay his head. This insignificant young teenage girl Mary and this insignificant man Joseph in staring in wonder at this brand new baby boy all wrapped in cloths placed in an animal's feed trough an insignificant stable for caves uh, a cave for animals an insignificant little town called Bethlehem and a most significant moment in history an event that would change everything it would change the whole world and so we arrive at the shepherds who were keeping their sheep on a cold winter's night that was so deep, apparently, too, as the song tells us. Luke 2, verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now, a couple of big, uh, quick words about shepherds. First of all, in society, they were considered very, very low down in the scale. Very, very low. Very low indeed. They couldn't go to the temple because of the Jewish purification rites. They couldn't purify themselves, so they they couldn't even go. So you can see why they were seen that way. They stunk too. That's another thing, but that's another story. They were, how could you say, at, at best you could say they were insignificant. It is interesting to know that where they were, it's very, very likely that the, some of the sheep that they were looking after, or even possibly all of those flocks, were the sheep that were, that were used then in the temple for uh, the sacrifice for sin. And isn't it interesting that uh, the, the shepherds are the first ones to see Jesus, who happens to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Remember when John the Baptist comes to him and many years later and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's read on from verse 9. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I'll bet they were terrified. I'll bet they were terrified. Sitting there shaking in their sheepskin Ugg boots up on a hill, freezing, freezing cold, and suddenly it's lit up like you've never seen before. This glory that shone around them was actually the radiance of God's own glory. It would have been totally overwhelming but would have certainly captured their attention. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, love this, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Exactly what uh, the angel had said uh, to, um, is it Mary or Joseph? He said, one of those anyway. He said, don't be afraid. Because I bring you good news of great joy. So in amongst the fear, there's this good news of great joy that will be for all people. And so we come to the birth announcement. When I was growing up, birth announcements were a little bit different than they are. They're very sophisticated these days, aren't they, too? A birth announcement in my day would have probably gone something like this. For the young people, this is called a telephone. Shabu. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm ringing from the hospital... Just wanted to let you know we've just had a baby boy. Yeah. Samuel, we like it. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I sent a letter to Auntie Flo and Uncle Ian, and they should get that in a couple of days' time. They'll get the news. And listen, I have to go because I've got about 37 more phone calls I've got to make this afternoon to catch up with everybody. Okay? Catch up. Wouldn't happen like that these days, would it? 
It's just a little bit different these days too. Nothing like... The, these days it's like 10 seconds after the child is passed to its mother, the first 79 photos have been uploaded onto Instagram, Facebook and WhatsApp and Auntie Flo and Auntie Ian... Oh, Auntie Ian, that's a good one. <laughs> and Uncle Ian, they might be up Mount Kilimanjaro somewhere and suddenly, bing! Oh, they've had a baby. John's had a baby, isn't that? Oh, Florina actually. Oh, actually, she's not doing that either. But it's there instantaneously. There it is. And then the smiley face emoji thingos go all over the place as well. Uh, and everybody's happy about that. And it all happens in, it's done. Impressive? Yes. But not nearly as impressive as the way God does birth announcements. Not even close to how God does birth announcements. The birth announcements we're about to read outdoes all of those that you see on social media by about 1,000 to 1. Not even close. Interestingly enough, something I heard just recently was that in uh, towns, when a baby boy was born, there would be some musicians or minstrels that would go around to the house and they would play some music to celebrate uh, the birth of that child. But Mary and Joseph, where are they? They're in some cave somewhere, a bunch, bunch of, a whole lot of animals uh, there. They're not in their town of Nazareth, so there's not going to be any minstrels, but I, I'm letting you know. Uh, with the birth of Mary's baby, when it was announced, there was going to be more than a bunch of minstrels. Let's read from Luke 2. Verse 11. I love this story. And it says, Today, birth announcement, in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. Can you see the shepherds? Oh, there's going to be a sign. Here's the sign. Everybody check out the sign. Make sure you remember what the sign is so we know what we're looking for. You will find a baby. Yes. Wrapped in cloths. Yes. Lying in a manger. Really? Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host, and the word host basically means army, huge army, army there of angels, appeared with the angel praising God and saying, it's all about God, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Find my spot any second, I'm sure. Here it is. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, sure they said a whole lot of things, but they said this to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I love this. You know why? These downtrodden shepherds, these nobodies, they can't go to the temple. Look look at the language they use. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that, I put a circle around, has happened. There was no doubt in their mind that this has happened. Listen to the next bit. Which the Lord has told us about. They know that it's the Lord that's told them and they are so confident of this. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. I love this too. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. God did not choose to trumpet the message over the land that some queen somewhere had delivered the Son of God in some palace somewhere. He didn't send a bunch of angels to the high priests and the religious leaders of the day in the temple to say, the Messiah that you've been reading about for hundreds of years, you know the scriptures well, have been waiting, uh, and you've been waiting for him. He's, he's here to rule over Israel. He's born this day in the best private hospital and under the best obstetrician in Jerusalem, and you'll find him wrapped in the finest Egyptian blankets, lying in a golden air-conditioned crib. No, it didn't work like that. 
Not even close to that because you see, God, he chooses the lowly. That is his custom. That's how he works. He chose the insignificant and he'd done it so many times before. Mary, Joseph, a bunch of angels, whoops, a bunch of shepherds actually, a stable, a manger, and a pretty insignificant little town they call Bethlehem. And even though Jesus was God, this story of the Messiah, uh, born in an animal shelter, placed in a feeding trough and wrapped up in cloths, was never going to be a rags-to-riches story, ever, because it's backwards. This was to be a riches-to-rags story where God would leave the riches of heaven, his rightful place, and come to earth because he loved us so much that his desire was to rescue us from our sin and provide a way to be made right with him again, just as it was meant to be. This was a moment in time, one writer says, I love this, where divinity met humanity. That is so true. And this Jesus, who was both fully God and fully man, would lead a sinless life in total obedience to his heavenly Father. And because of that total obedience to God, he would be shunned and hated by the religious leaders, the very people, because of their knowledge of the Scriptures, they should have recognized him straight away. When all these things were happening, they should have recognized prophecy. They should have been recognizing what was going on, but instead they did not do that. They completely missed the purpose of Jesus coming here to set people free from their sin to save those who would come to him, believe in him, and ask forgiveness for their sin. And at Easter time, we see the completion of God's rescue plan for us, don't we? When as a perfect, spotless, sinless man, like a lamb being sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin, they placed Jesus on a cruel cross to suffer and die, taking on his body all of our sin and all the sin of the world. That's what he did for us. That's how much he loved us. The sins of the whole world taken on his shoulder. And the climax to this rescue plan comes when Jesus, in agony, because just because he was God didn't mean he felt pain. He felt pain just like a man would feel pain. When he was in agony but with triumph, cries out from the cross, it is finished. And then he gives up his spirit. What was finished? Was he finished? No, he wasn't finished. God's rescue plan was complete. It was finished. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day and right now sits at the right hand of the Father. And for those who believe in Jesus and turn to him for the forgiveness of sin, they become his children, the children of the good shepherd. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a gift. What a gift.